So you want to read Tolkien? We're happy to have you with us. Join us as we work our way through the Silmarillion. I'm Caitlin. I'm Rachel. And I'm Emily. Let's dig into this week's reading. For Middle Earth. (laughs) If I tried to pronounce every letter in this name, my tongue would fall out of my mouth. I mean, I am on my second giant glass of Prosecco right now. So... (laughs) Sally Ho! That's what Into the West means. Let's go home. (laughs) We're unqualified, but we have ideas. Okay, so here we are with our very final uh, episode on the Silmarillion. Yay! I still can't believe we made it. I can't either. I know. It only took us six months. I'm, I'm very proud of us. How are you guys feeling having read this book? Accomplished? I love it. Mm-hmm. Love mm-hmm. is a strong word. Well, like, I've tried before and never made it very far. And so I've made it this entire way. And now I'm like, I get to feel like I've, I've become an official Tolkien bro, even though I know that's the opposite of the point of this podcast. I was going to bring that up, so I'm glad you did. Um, <laughs> I can see now why people who have slogged through this entire thing feel like they have a right to lord it over other people because it was quite an accomplishment. I think since we broke it down chapter by chapter, I like the chapters that I liked and I'm perfectly happy pretending the ones I didn't like don't exist. Mm Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah, I don't know that I enjoy rereading The Silmarillion, at least not in its entirety, but I do like the stories and the Mm -hmm. information, I suppose, if that makes sense. And I'm I'm excited to be able to bring it into the later books and hopefully tell people who might listen to our later episodes, even if they didn't listen to the Silmarillion ones, be like, hey, mm-hmm. this is why this is happening. It pulls from here. It's cool to know those connections. Mm-hmm. I like that too. Although I do find I have to stop myself from like talking about it with people who super don't care. <laughs> yeah, see, I just have that problem in general, like, as a Shakespeare nerd, it's just my life looking at people and going, oh, you really don't care what I'm talking about. So your whole life is just having to remind yourself to shut up? Pretty much. Interesting. <laughs> Not a fun way to live, right? <laughs> oh, it's okay. I don't ever shut up. Okay. okay. <laughs> so for our final episode, we decided to not mix anything up. And Emmy's going to do characters. Wait, yes? No, that's I what we decided? I, was, I thought I was That was the opposite that. of what we decided. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> Rachel is going to do characters you know for us I today. I think I'm going to leave that in because it's hilarious. <laughs> Rachel's right. doing characters. So I'm Rachel, who is not Emmy. And I'm going to talk about characters for once. Um, we have a lot of new characters because we're going to run through like 3,000 years in one chapter. But um, in terms of the recurring characters who've been in at least some of the rest of the Silmarillion, if not the entire thing. Um, the main bad boy now is Sauron. He is also known as Gorthar and Anatar and the Necromancer. And um, basically he is uh, Melkor's minion slash pseudo son who, now that Melkor's stuck in the void, is left doing terrible things on Middle-earth. We have Gilgalad, 
who is the son of Fingon and is now the last High King of the Noldor. He's currently hanging out in Lindon, which is, if you look at a map, just west of Arid Luin, aka the Blue Mountains, which was the east end of Beleriand where most of our story took place and is now underwater. Uh, we're going to also talk about Elrond Sum, who you may have heard of before. He is the half-elf son of Erendil and Elwing, and he chose to live his life as an elf. Uh, well, meanwhile, his brother Elros chose to be a human and was the first king of Numenor. And that relationship is important for stuff that goes down. But Elrond is an important elf. Um <laughs> Uh, Círdan is known as the Shipwright. He's also one of the oldest and most powerful elves that is left on Middle-earth at this point. He's always loved sailing and founded various, um, havens, and in this point he founds the Grey Havens, which are at the Gulf of Loon after the geographical changes that happen, and these are the Grey Havens that you may know from the Lord of the Rings. Uh, we also have Galadriel. She, um has been around through all of this, but we I want to point out that when she left Valinor uh, with the Noldor, all she wanted was to rule her own kingdom, and at this point, she finally gets it. Um, in terms of yes, humans, she does. We, have, yes, we have three main humans uh, at this point. Uh, Elendil, he escaped the drowning of Numenor, he is therefore now the leader of what's left of the Dúnedain, and when he arrives in Middle-earth now, after Númenor drowns, he ends up hanging out with Gil-galad in the west. Uh, he has two sons, uh, Isildur and Anarion. You might know Isildur more. They are again both Elendil's sons, and they end up sailing upriver and live in... Um, the Osgiliath area, uh, right, literally right outside of Mordor, to keep an eye on Sauron. They actually end up being co-rulers there, so Isildur is lord of Minas Ethel, and Anarion is lord of Minas Arnor, and they're like two towers. Uh, I think it's the other way around, isn't Wasn't it? Wasn't it? I swear I looked it up. Because I feel like Minas Ethel is the one that becomes Minas Morgul, and that's the one that Anarion is in charge of. But I think they switched at one point. Hang on. Oh, fuck. I don't even know anymore. I know. That's it. That's the problem. Because I had to look up Anarion's name. Is it Arnor or something? Um, Just so everybody knows why we chuckled at Anarion, uh, it's because Rachel refers to him as the other one. Uh, Anor, sorry. But I had an R in there because Arnor is also a place. Mm -hmm. But yeah. it's it lists him as, but maybe it's because he ends up taking over. No. Yes. No, his son takes over everything. <laughs> <laughs> the thing in the back of the book says Lord of Minas Anor for Anarion. Yes, that sounds correct. Oh, okay. I am incorrect then. I could have fucking sworn it was the other way around. No, and because yes, it says, it Anorion says gets the A1. But anyway. My brain is all backwards. Which Listen, one becomes they Minas change Earth? names a lot, so it's not going to matter in about five minutes. When this tower <laughs> becomes think. named something else. Um, yeah, but yeah, which one becomes... Because that's the one where Isildur plants the tree. Yes, but it's also the one that gets taken over. So, 
Right, and like the tree dies, and they take a new sapling from Arnor to what will be Minas Tirith. Okay, okay, yes. I don't know why I was so confused. Probably because there have been a lot of saplings, and there are a lot of towns named Minas. There yeah, are like and they're, they're literally two towers, basically, on opposite sides of Gilead, and who cares which is which, really? I have literally had that backwards in my head for years. <laughs> like, like Sorry? actual years. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> well, we got that cleared up. This is possibly why I was having such problems with geography earlier. I just... Also, okay, geography okay. is just confusing. Anyway, so we have these two brothers. Um, again, Anarion rules Minas Anor, and Isildur is ru- ruling Minas Ethel, but they basically co-rule in Osgiliath. They have two thrones next to each other. It's very touching. Um, and it <laughs> it should be noted that Isildur brought a sapling of the white tree from Numenor with him, and this tree was descended from Telperion, the silver-glowing tree, tree yep. in Valinor. And those are our recurring characters. Yeah. We'll get to any others as we get to them. Sounds good. So our short summary today um, is going to sound very familiar if you know The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Basically, Sauron makes a bunch of rings and he tricks people into wearing them so that he can control them. But he also gathers up all of the leftover orcs and evil humans and he moves into Mordor and sets up shop over there. Elves and men end up making the last alliance to fight him and it goes okay, right? And then like 3,000 years later, they try again. That's when Frodo gets the ring and it goes you know, better this time around. So we're going to recap all of that for you in our long summary. Right. So after the War of Wrath, um, Sauron, you know, disguised himself in his fair, I am a good guy look and sort of repented to Aonwe, who, if we recall, was a Maya of Manwe and is sort of overseeing the finishing up of the war. Um, but Aonwe decides that him and Sauron are both Maya, so he doesn't really have the authority to punish or forgive Sauron, and so tells him to go back to Valinor to face judgment from the Valar and beg forgiveness from them. Uh, can I interject here? Does it sound like something we've heard before? <laughs> hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they never learn. <laughs> Sauron is pretty much like, no, that sounds terrible. I'm just going to stay here. And so everybody... Which is valid. Yeah. All the, the hosts of the Valar leave, and Sauron keeps his fair disguise, and pretty much starts to try to make friends with all the elves that stayed. Now, the elves that stayed, there are some Noldor, and that would be like Gilgalad, who... Gilgalad, Gilgalad, I don't know his name. He, you know, as Rachel said, builds the havens on the Gulf of Loon, the Grey Havens. Uh, Elrond lives there for now. What was that? Was that Gilgalad and Círdan, or Círdan is there, but Círdan is, is not a Noldor, so okay, he's right. a Teleri, and he he's, he's ferrying people. Yeah, he's ferrying people to to Valinor, and doesn't really ever come into the tales. He just sort of goes back and forth between the Grey yeah. Havens 
and uh, Valinor. Like, he probably spends time at both, but he does not get involved in the story. So yeah, Elrond is also there, and uh, the Teleri elves, like the le- the refugees and stuff from Doriath, and um, the people who used to live in Osirian, I believe, they all sort of move in with the Sylvan elves. Think like Thranduil and Legolas, and in the woods there, the Sylvan elves. Uh, part of the Avari, the elves that never even tried. I think they're part of the Avari. Shoot. Either the elves that didn't even try to go to Valinor, or the ones that got, you know, stopped along the way. Galadriel and Celeborn set up their realm in Aragion, and they're the only Noldor who start to live on that side of the Arid Luin. Um, and they sort of, they're in front of Khazad-dûm, and they've got a couple of different cities in that area, and Celebrimbor also lives there, who is the last living descendant of Feanor. I believe he is Feanor's grandson. So they are uh, like the Noldor of old. They are they like to make things, weapons and jewelry and blah blah blah. During this time, Sauron traveled around to different human settlements and makes friends with them. He makes friends with some elves as well. Uh, Gilgalad never trusted him. Uh, I guess I should say that nobody knows who he is right now. He's going by the name Anatar. He's in his like bear. I am a nice guy. The Lord disguise. of Gifts. The Lord of Gifts, yes. Basically Santa Claus. <laughs> well, sure. So nobody knows that this is Sauron, Lord of the Werewolves, Gorthar, etc. Um, through And he makes especially good friends with the elves in Aragion. Aragion? Aragion? The Noldor. The E region. Yeah. Because they like to make great and powerful things, and Sauron is all, look, we can make shit to make Middle-earth as pretty and powerful as Valinor. Which, we all love Middle-earth, but we still all miss Valinor, so let's do this. And the people there are taken in by him. I call bullshit on that, because if Gil-Galad can sniff him out, Galadriel can sniff him out. Did I ever finish that thought that he never went to the Havens because Gil-Galad didn't trust him? honestly don't remember. Anyways, he doesn't ever go there. I think you did. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. We'll find out later. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Apparently, I, I mean, there are a couple different cities, so maybe he just never goes to the one where Galadriel is, but I, I just don't believe that. Anyway, so yeah. this, all this makering and such culminated in them making Rings of Power. And as, and Celebrimbor uh, is involved in all this. And as they work on them, Sauron guides their labors and his desires as he wishes to set a bond upon the elves and bring them under his vigilance. Uh, the elves make a lot of rings, but in secret, Sauron makes the One Ring. Um, and the power of the lesser rings are all bound up in that One Ring and are subject to it. Uh, therefore, Sauron had to put quite a bit of his own life force in it to make it that powerful. Insert joke about Horcruxes here. <laughs> the ring was made in the fires of Mount Doom, obviously. Doom. And while um, Sauron wore that ring, actually, I don't think it's called Mount Doom yet. Uh, I didn't write down what they Not do yet, call it, the Mountain of Fire. But close enough. Yeah. While Sauron... Sauron wears that ring, he can perceive all, everything that the lesser rings are doing. And possibly the minds of the people who are wearing them? 
I don't know. Yeah, I think it said he could control their minds. Yeah, to a degree. I, I, I yeah. don't know. I just I um, want to emphasize here, like, the thing that was, like, whoa to me, that the elves made the rings. Like, it's it's sort of implied in the movies and stuff that, like, he just, he makes them and gives them out. And they think, yeah, cool, seems fine. Like, they made them they, themselves. They, they made them with him. Yeah. And he gave them direction. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe he was, like, putting his blood on them, and they were all like, this seems weird, but whatevs. <laughs> Very <Yeah>. weird. <laughs> or he snuck in in the middle of the night into the ring forges. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like a lot of this sounds good on paper, but when you imagine the reality of it, it's like, this is just weird, Tolkien. You know. So as the elves have power of their own, um, the minute Sauron put on his ring, they could tell that he now controlled their rings, so they took them all off. And then the line in the book here is something like, um, but Sauron, finding that he was betrayed and that the elves were not deceived, was filled with wrath. Which is the most ridiculous line. It's not betrayal. <laughs> or maybe he means the rings betrayed him? Hmm. Like, betrayed his, betrayed his purpose or whatever? Either way. Did you say you were trying to find it? Yeah, I think it's just, it's left vague. But yeah, finding that he was betrayed and that the elves were not deceived. Or just that you didn't plan good enough, dude. Yeah, right? He was betrayed by himself. Like, what? You weren't clever enough, bro. I guess that's what it is. He's upset at himself, so he takes it out on the elves and attacks Aragian. Aragian. Aradude. Whatever. And he demands all of the rings. The elves basically just flee uh, while he's attacking, but they keep three rings for themselves. Uh, important to note, Celebrimbor is killed during this assault, and that is the end of Feanor's line. Doom! So, Ouch. Yep, they they made it into the Second Age, but just barely. At least I assume it is. I don't think he has any children. It, they're not mentioned. None, I don't think so. So these three rings that the elves make off with. Yeah, he doesn't even get a line on the family tree of Finway. Like, right. Celebrimbor just gets like an asterisk by Curifin's name. Nice. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. So the three rings that they take... Are, were never touched by Sauron. He had no dealings in the makings of them. So they are still technically usable, although the people who keep them don't use them very much because, or don't use their physical powers very much because they figure that will just attract Sauron's attention. But the rings themselves are said to, uh, that they could ward off the decays of time and postpone the weariness of the world. And these rings were Narya, the Ring of Fire, Nenya, the Ring of Water, and Vilya, the Ring of Air. Uh, again, they were given to the wise and never used openly. I don't think I ever wrote down who actually has them. Um, we come to that at the end of the chapter. Yeah. All right. So yeah, at least Sarah, the, the third oh. one, for sure. So then Sauron makes lots of war on the elves. Um, as I mentioned, Aragorn is all destroyed. At Moria, which uh, Aragorn was next to, and like this is when the friendship door would have been created and all that sort of thing, 
that shuts all of its doors and locks everyone out, basically. And this is also about the time that Elrond leaves the Havens and sets up Rivendell. And presumably, Galadriel takes what else she can from Aragorn and sets up Lothlorien. Although I don't think that was mentioned in this chapter. It, it, it sh- At some point, like the actual setting up isn't mentioned, but it is mentioned that she's there. Yeah. Um, so then, Sauron has all those other rings that the elves gave him. And, you know, he gives seven to the dwarves, nine to men. This is all very obvious, I guess. Uh, the dwarves use their rings mostly for the gathering of wealth. And while they didn't become servants of Sauron the way that the humans did, uh, Sauron was still sort of able to use their, uh, use them for evil and had the, the hordes of wealth that the dwarves hoarded, whatever. Um, well, those hordes eventually attracted dragons to come and devour them, and a lot of the rings were then lost to dragonfire, or they were recovered by Sauron. Either way, a lot of dwarf kings were killed by dragons. Sad. Yay. Yeah. So, um, the nine men became mighty kings, or sorcerers, or warriors. And this is before the or fall- Or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, this is before the fall of Numenor- so I don't know what they're kings of, or where in Middle-earth this is happening, or who these people are. I am curious to know more, but I don't think we ever do. Tolkien died before he could tell us. It's all very, very vague. <laughs> so, the rings granted unending power. Nope. The rings <laughs> granted them unending life, but uh, living became unendurable to them, and they became the Nazgul. And were completely sort of under the domination of Sauron and the ring. And when describing this, the book had my favorite line, possibly in this entire book, describing them with, Darkness went with them, and they cried with the voices of death. I I really like that line. This book is full of, or this chapter is full of good lines. And mm-hmm. they're all, like, wonderfully depressing. Mm-hmm. So then Sauron declares himself Lord of the Earth. Because why not? Yeah. And, go big or go home. Yeah, and this is sort of when he really starts to gather up all the leftovers of Morgoth's forces, a lot of orcs, etc. Um, and while he's doing this and raising his armies, a lot of elves are just like, well, fuck this. Let's go to Valinor. And most of the humans left behind become come under the rule of Sauron. Though at this time, he still does not dare to attack the Havens. And uh, because Gilgalad is there, and he also has the aid of the men from Numenor. And this is about when the Numenorians come and take Sauron away, etc., etc., etc. See last week. There's a whole episode on that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So after everything with Numenor, right, yes. So the Numenorians who get away to Middle-earth are led by Elendil and his sons Anarion and Isildur. Elendil decides to set up shop in Eriador, near his buddy Gilgalad, at the Grey Havens, and he creates the kingdom of Arnor. A lot of Numenorians live there, the faithful ones, not the black Numenorians of evilness. Because they're dead. Some come under the rule of Sauron. So there are some evil Numenorians around. I always figured that's what the mouth of Sauron was, but we can get there later. Ah. I could be very wrong. That's just, like, a thing that I have in my brain. I I don't know if that's... Anyways, 
Isildur and Anarion set up Gondor in the south, right in front of Mordor. They make cities and landmarks, and things are good for a time. The most important cities being Osgiliath, which is basically the capital, and Minas Ethel and Minas Anor, which Caitlin had confused in her head for a very long time there. Isildur... Oh no, see, I have it backwards here, don't I? No, do I? No, no I think you have it right. Oh, fuck. <laughs> okay, Isildur moves into Minas Ethel, yeah, and Anarion it, it, it goes moves according into to their Minas initials. Anor, yes. Oh... Um, they shared they wow <clears throat> they shared the realm in between and had a dual throne situation in Osgiliath, which was basically in the middle of the two. And Isildur planted the tree he took in Minas Ethel. Maybe that's where I got confused. I Did think he, so. He, yeah. Okay. I think yeah, it's in Ethel first because then it gets yeah transplanted. Damn this like moving tree. <laughs> okay, there are actual moving trees in this series, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yep. Lots of saplings. Lots of babies. Yeah. So, they also happen to have the Plantier, which we mentioned way at the beginning of this book. We're made by Chapter Feanor. Six. Chapter 6 of Feanor. I had to look it up. Oh. Um, I guess when it was mentioned last chapter that, you know, gifts were given to the people of Numenor from the people of Erisea. Presumably the Plantier was one of those gifts. Or... And they had about seven of them, and they split them all up between the the three, well, the two kingdoms and the three people. Yeah, the daddy got three, and the four were split between the sons. Yeah, and this way they can communicate with each other and spy on their enemies with them. I love that it was basically last chapter, it's just mentioned, like, they took the tree, oh, and some rocks. Mm -hmm. And then this chapter, it's like, oh, but these are very, very important rocks. <laughs> now uh Sauron no longer has a body as we know from last chapter but he wasn't killed so he returns to Mordor and starts to build his tower Barad Dur um and also creates for himself a new fun okay I've written it shape here but that's I was trying to think of a better way to say it but now I can't think of anything else other than a new fun shape cuz it's a new <clears throat> Optical Body. illusion. Ah ha 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 ha. Ah ha. It's funny because he's an eye. So, anyways, the eye of Sauron first comes into being. And although, I mean, the ring is still cut from his hand. So, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, he's like both an eye and a person. And I don't get it. And, like, he doesn't have physical form anymore, but you can still cut things off of him. He doesn't have pretty form. I thought he lost his body in Numenor too, but I could be wrong. But he he did, but he went to like reform it, but he couldn't be nice. He couldn't be anymore. pretty. So now he's the hulking black giant but I did thing. Get, right, because he's both described in this chapter as being an yep. eye and as losing a finger. I just don't see how he's both is all I'm saying. Yeah. Um so this is where we get the Eye of Sauron, is basically what we're saying. Yep. And then he starts attacking Gondor with his orc friends. He destroys the white tree, although once again, Isildur escapes with a seedling of the tree. So um, many white Anarian trees. Hold, yeah. Uh, Anarion holds Osgiliath and manages to drive Sauron back. And this is when the last alliance is formed by Elendil and Gilgalad, and they march on Mordor. 
Uh, Elendil, Anarian, and Gilgalad are all killed in this war. Isildur, using the shards of Narsil, which was the sword belonging to his father, cuts the ring, and blah, 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 blah. We all know what happens. Okay, but side note, mm-hmm. it was a seven-year siege. Yeah, that was... They they had the war outside the gates, they made it into Mordor, and then they siege on Barad-dûr itself for seven years. And, like, at the end of the seven years is when, like, everything that happens in the prologue of Fellowship happens. Yeah. So, like, it makes it look like a seal tour is just, you know, a dick. But he's laid siege on this tower for seven years and then loses his father and brother. And it's like, I don't blame him quite as much for wanting the ring. Like, the ring is evil, but... But it took advantage of his... Yeah. Of, of what was happening around him. Yeah, that It's been a one... long time of suffering. Mm-hmm. I do like how that is covered, because if you just watch the movies, Isildur does not seem like a king worth remembering, but but he was. He did some amazing things. He did some heroic good things. He just was seduced away by the ring. And I even think that that makes, oh my god, we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, but that (laughs) makes Boromir a much more sympathetic character when you know that... (laughs) Even somebody who's done as heroic, as many heroic things as a Sildor. You know what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. We could not be getting more ahead of ourselves, it's, though. You're right. Yeah. It's just it's just a very good context for how the ring can fuck up a person. Yep. Although, to be fair, we did not have much uh, empathy for people who got fucked up by the Silmarils. No, we didn't. But most of them didn't go on a seven-year siege for them. Well... They just showed up and murdered their friends. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So the rest of um, this chapter pretty much tells the story that's covered in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. So we didn't want to go too much into it. It does sort of focus more on the powers, as it were, like the the wise, I guess, and how they set up their white council and how um, the five... Istari arrive from Valinor, being the the wizards. About the only good thing the Hobbit movies did for us was being like, yep, the council, the wise, right, I guess. The wise council. And they had three meetings or so, and it did show a different point of view of Saruman than the movies do, because in the movies it sort of seems like he's become an ally of Sauron, and this shows him as being like an enemy of Sauron, just in a different way. Like he just wants in to find competition the with. ring himself. Yeah, it's more like a rival than an- yeah, yeah. He wants the ring for himself to call himself the Lord of the Earth or whatever. They're frenemies. <laughs> but yeah, like he basically he was the one who studied everything Sauron did so as to know how to beat him, and ended up getting too far in. Like, well, I could do this. Yeah. And then it goes over how the line of kings was finally broken or hidden and how they ended up all being sort of sheltered in Rivendell because they're technically related to Elrond. Oh, I do kind of, I want to go back to the line of kings. Yes. Because I found it interesting to note that after kind of what we know of Isildur getting the ring and stuff, um... He actually leaves the ruling 
to um, his brother's son, so his nephew, in hand, which Minas Anor, and ends up planting. Oh God, we did, we completely skimmed over everything that happens in that region. I don't know if we want to go back to that, but um, we can discuss. We are discussing. But anyway, but yeah, so Isildur leaves it to his nephew, basically. And that's the line of the kings that eventually breaks. And Isildur kind of wanders off and ends up dying and losing the ring in the river. Right. And he was along. He, yeah. I have it yeah. in my head. I could be wrong that he was going like he left Gondor to Anarian's kids and he was going to go move into Arnor. Mm-hmm. Was that what it was? And he was. I think it's something like that because that's where his dad had been. Yeah, and he was gonna, and he was died on. He was died. He was killed on the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they and were ambushed, when... and then he attempted to escape by river, but the ring left his finger, and the orcs could suddenly see him, so they shot him to death. Yeah, yeah. and I think his three oldest sons died then, but he had a one youngest one that, along with his wife, was, was in, in river escaped. That, along with yep. sorry. Uh, Isildur's wife and his yeah. youngest son were in Rivendell. Um, and then the Numenorians that lived in Arnor, I feel like they ended up splitting it up and sort of continuing kind of ruling, but eventually Arnor sort of started disappearing and the Numenorians who were there just became the wandering Dunedain or the rangers. But yeah, in, in all of the time in, in Gondor, though, what Minas... Ethel ends up getting overtaken. The the Ringwraiths move into Minas Ethel, and it is renamed Minas Morgul. And they cut down the white tree that's now there. Then but I'm so confused about the whole fucking tree thing. So the tree <laughs> that the tree that Isildur brought with him from Numenor, yeah, he planted in Minas Ethel where he was ruling. Okay, but when after the war, etc., people. Uh, evil people invaded he took yet another sapling of that one yeah and then planted that in Minas Anor yeah right before he left in memory of his brother right and And then that one ended up getting renamed Minas Tirith aka the watchtower right and that's the white tree of Gondor that we know okay that's the white tree of Gondor because well it's the white tree we know for a while and then it's mentioned how Gandalf finds another right that's at the very end though that's at the very end of the the yeah but anyway yes but it's mentioned in this chapter which is the annoying part like five (laughs) different trees in this chapter yeah but like the white tree that's dying or whatever during Mm -hmm. the Lord of the Rings that's that's the tree that he planted in That's memory of his brother. This one. Yes. Yep. Okay. Why That's are these it. even so important? God. Was it dying or is it just that it's like no longer alive? It's like not thriving because there is no rightful king of Isildur's line, but also it will bloom again. So it's just like in a coma. But it doesn't bloom again in the books. Okay. Uh, Aragorn goes, or Gandalf directs Aragorn to go find that seedling in the woods or whatever, and Aragorn plants a new one. It's like in the snow or something. Yeah, in the well, I don't think it's actual snow. I think that's the name of the plants. This doesn't matter at all, but apparently I need to find it. I know. I'm trying to do the same thing. In the courts of Minas Anor, the white tree flowered again, for a seedling was found by Mithrandir in the snows. Oh, in the snows. Okay. Ha. Uh, <laughs> you, you were correct. 
of Mindoluin, whatever, that rose tall and white above the city of Gondor, and while it still grew there, the Elder Days were not wholly forgotten in the hearts of the kings. I guess I was just sort of skimming at that part and read it like, <laughs> like, like snowdrop, not actual snowdrops, but you know what I mean, that type of thing. Yeah. Well, Imagine it as like white trees, kind. different white trees. So, yeah. but it, I think it matters because at this point, um, I'm going to go back to the rings real quick. How dare you? I know, all the way back. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's in the title of the chapter or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the three rings that the elves have, even though they're not directly under the dominion of Sauron, it's mentioned that they still draw kind of the same power. And so when the one ring gets destroyed, that's like the end of these rings and these these great beings. So we can also get into who has them. But um, right. they basically have lived longer than most elves have. Even at least discounting in Middle Earth. Killing each other. Yeah, in Middle Earth. And pretty much fade at the end. So it really like the end of the ring, the one ring marks the end of the elves and the, the new age of men, which we kind of know, but um, that this tree really does signify like the last big connection to Valinor and to the old things that we've spent the last couple months talking about. Mm-hmm. And since all of these beings are leaving Middle-earth, it matters to have that tree. Yes. Even if we're annoyed at tracking the heritage. And I guess if you want to get spiritual about it, it is kind of like a link to what you could see as their religion. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of talk about gods and stuff in this book, but not much about worship or faith. Mm-hmm. There's no organized religion. Which I'm fine with. In that sense. Yeah. But, but Interesting that could... from a Catholic. Yeah. But I can see where... The tree would would represent that to them. Right. Which is why we have followed the tree through its long journeys across oceans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Did we want to go over who had the, the elf rings? Yes. Because I think what it, it was known who wore two of them for most of this. Everybody guessed because of who was left of the elves is what I'm assuming you were going for. Well, I was going to say because... Rivendell and Lothlorien were kind of these protected, undying pieces of land. Everybody figured Elrond had one and Galadriel had one. Yeah, so Galadriel had Nenya. And Lady Galadriel has the Ring of Adamant. Right, so, so that, that's, which is water, Nenya. Um, yeah, and then I totally called who had the Red Ring of Fire, because obviously... We only had one last elf, and then he was going to leave, so that made me very happy. Well, it was it was Cirden who had the Ring of Fire originally, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And then he gave it to Gandalf. Yep. Indeed. Mithrandir. But anyway, that's why, yes, at the end of Lord of the Rings, Elrond and Galadriel, along with Gandalf, are leaving to the west. The rings are fading. It's so good. Anyway. I think all of us ended up listening to the Lord of the Rings soundtrack today because we had emotions. Yeah. Yeah. I I really just want to skip The Hobbit and read the Lord of the Rings. We're not going to. We're not going to. 
I'm just really excited to get to the Lord of the Rings, which are my favorites of these books that we're doing. Mm-hmm. So, almost like they were a life's work. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, also tied up in nostalgia for me, and you know, all that sort of good stuff. Yeah. Um, do you want to read Gandalf's good line? I don't know. Oh yeah, Gandalf's good line. Um, anything, <laughs> we've. Uh, you know, we skimmed over a lot of the end because obviously we're going to go much further or much in depth into it with the next couple books. But during one of the White Councils, uh, Mithrandir has a good line about how they're going to win this war while him and, I believe, Sauron are talking about how to find the ring. Um, he says, many are the strange chances of the world. And help oft shall come from the hands of the weak when the wise falter. And I like that line. That's a nice line. It, it is how they win the war. Yep. And like, real good chance I'm just gonna watch Fellowship of the Ring tonight. I feel like I should go grab my DVD and do the same. I have the extended edition on Netflix in Canada. Nice. I mean, I also have it on blu-ray i say i have the dvds and but there it was like i i want to read the last line too but i don't know if we're there yet to like ending things but it's such a lovely last line it really is go for it you're feeling it (laughs) um it's long in true tolkien fashion but talking about the ship sailing into the west and in the twilight of autumn, it sailed out of Mithland until the seas of the bent world fell away beneath it, and the winds of the round sky troubled it no more, and borne upon the high airs above the mists of the world, it passed into the ancient west, and an end was come for the Eldar of story and of song. It's just a really lovely way to end this book that has kind of told the mythology of the Eldar. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's where we'll end this episode. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, no homework for next week, because we're having a fun episode next week. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you're, you're in for some good times. I'm, I'm pretty much leaving the planning of it, quote unquote, up to you two, because it was your idea. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> awesome. One of my better ideas, if we're honest. So if Excellent. we record next week so and like excited. we got nothing, that's on you too. <laughs> but if you wish to get in touch with us, you may do so uh, through email. We're want to read Tolkien at gmail.com or we have a Twitter at to read Tolkien. If you want to tell us you love us, please leave us a review or give us a star rating on iTunes and or wherever you listen to podcasts. That would be very nice of you. And This is the end of The Silmarillion. So I've been Caitlin. I've been Rachel. And I've been Emmy. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. 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 Bye.